We are in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. We will not make it through the entire chapter. There's absolutely too much to do that. So I had to cut it at the most logical place. So you don't want to miss next week because next week is when we're going to talk about what happens with those who are Christians and have died and gone on. Uh, but I do feel like that this particular section, it's interesting to me and that it is the precursor or comes before the whole section on, you know, the rapture and being ready and what happens with those Christians who die and pass on. And, uh, are they going to miss out on anything? And so we'll talk about all that next week. But really, most of this section, a lot of it is about instructions regarding maintaining sexual purity not all of it but a lot of it is about that and I find that interesting in that in the day that we live in that's a hot topic uh, certainly sexual purity and uh, all the deviance that we see in the area of uh, sex and God designed it to be a pure and a holy thing between a man and a woman it's interesting that that is, comes before that, that whole section that we'll talk about next week. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read the first two verses, talk about those a little bit. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So look at that. He's saying we are urging you. We are exhorting you. Those are two strong words. Uh, those are uh, words that are have passion tied behind them, right? So they're saying this is important. We're urging you. We're exhorting you to do something. And he says to abound more and more doesn't say immediately uh, what they want them to abound in until you get down to the comma. How many knows that uh, English commas, apostrophes, uh, you know, all those English things that you thought you left behind when you were in high school, you really need them to study the Word of God. It's true uh, because they help you out. Because there's a difference between a period and a comma, an exclamation point, you know, all those things have meaning. So, he says that you should abound more and more to walk in a way that would please God. That's what he wants these Thessalonians to do. How many want to please God, right? Uh, and it, so it does matter how we walk. Now, obviously, we know that he doesn't mean just walking because if he's talking about walking, then I'm in trouble because uh, Bill and I talked about this the other day. There's no way I could ever pass a sobriety test because I cannot walk a straight line since I've had the surgery on my foot. Probably couldn't do it before then. He's not talking about physically walking. What is he talking about? Lifestyle, a spiritual walk, right? Uh, how you live, right? So he's saying you need to live in a way that pleases God and abounds more and more. If something abounds more and more, what does that mean? It gets better and better. If there's 
Grown. Yes, absolutely. We're to live a life that, uh, I don't know if you figured this out or not, but I'm not perfect. But the thing is, neither are you, right? Uh, so we have that in common. And we're to learn to walk in a way that will please God, but hopefully in a way that we get better at it and better at serving the Lord, better at walking with him and, and living like that we should. So that's that's kind of what we see there. Now, he starts with the word finally, but that doesn't mean that he's going to end. If you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, you'll see this is chapter 4, and there's another whole chapter, right? So what is he doing? He's he's starting a new section. He's starting a, a new idea. I mean, when you write and when you talk, sometimes you'll say, Words like finally or and then, right? When you say things, so this word finally doesn't mean that he's wrapping everything up quite yet, but he has, he's starting to do that and he's starting a new section to talk about this. So you should abound more and more that your Christian maturity should continue to grow, that you should abound more and more for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So who gave them the commandments about how to walk? Paul, but he said he says we. So Timothy and Sylvanus or Silas, right? We know that they're his partners. So anytime he says we, you go back to first that first chapter, you're going to know that he's talking about his ministry team. And we talked, I'm going to go into depth in that, but we talked about that you know, God calls us to work together. And there really shouldn't be any Lone Rangers ministries. We should have helpers, workers, people who come along the side of us and help us to do that. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. Well, we'll kind of stop in the middle of 6 and transition there. For this is the will of God. Wow. How many have ever said, I'm not sure I know what God's will is for me? Right? Now, we usually think about what kind of plan, what kind of purpose, what kind of specific ministry or something like that. But here he says, this is the will of God. And what is it? Your sanctification. So sanctification is the will of God. We should not stay the same, right? And if we do, then there's a problem. And let me give us a hint. Those that said us and not me and you. It's not God's problem, right? <laughs> uh, if we don't change, it's our problem. So sanctification uh, is... Well, well, we'll talk about, we'll give a definition for sanctification in just a little bit. But, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, this whole next section is going to be about sexual immorality, abstaining from that. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. It's talking about our own bodies, Right? Uh, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, 
like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. So that's about halfway through uh, verse 6. So it's God's will for us to experience sanctification. What does sanctification look like? Sanctification does mean to set apart. Yes, it does. So what does that look like, though? Not like the world living a holy life. There's when you when you turn away from the world, then you have a focus and a vision, and that should be on the Lord, right? So you're growing to be more like Him. But, but what what does set apart look like? Not worldly. Does it mean I can go everywhere that the world goes? Yeah, you can. Doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Certain activities that the world does, we shouldn't. Certain activities that the world doesn't do, we should. You see, there's both sides. We always look at the negative, it seems like, don't we? Like, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. But that sounds like bondage to me because we're given just as many things that we can do. It's good to work for the Lord, isn't it? I, I, I think it's good to work for the Lord. There's a lot of freedom in that, a lot of joy uh, in working for the Lord. So that's a set apart where sanctification is God's will. And, and specifically, we should abstain from sexual immorality. We always have a tendency to think that our day and age is the worst it's ever been. We, we really do have a tendency to think that. I mean, because well, God hasn't rained fire and brimstone down on us yet, okay, as a country. I'm not saying he hadn't thought about it, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but we always have a tendency to think, and our experience is, I don't know about yours, but my experience seems to be that from the time I was a kid to now, it's gotten worse, right? It doesn't mean that it is the absolute worst time in history, however. There are some things that certainly compare the Roman Empire. Certainly, Christians were being tormented, eaten by lions, put in uh, coliseums where it was sport to watch them die. We don't see that here. There's a lot of bad things. I'm not saying it's not that there is, this isn't a bad world. But in the Roman Empire, sexual immorality was, uh, was even really, wasn't even thought about too much. Uh, the Romans were all about sexual revolution. They were all about, they were very immoral, very immoral. And Paul said that this was a commandment that we abstain, right? So it's a, it's a commandment, and it, in the commentary that I read a lot out of, it says it's similar to a military term that an officer would give to a subordinate. And he, he's saying this is a commandment. He is saying this is important. This is not just what I think, but there, this has some authority with it, and that authority, I believe we'll, we'll figure this out, that it's not Paul but the Lord. When you look throughout history, but especially biblical history, you'll see that God 
is not favorable towards sexual immorality. There is a, a whole lot of commandments about it, a whole lot of examples in the Bible of people who, uh, for instance, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, is one, but other places as well. And so uh, it, it's one of those things that God uh, really doesn't look at very well. If I can skip that section, you all already knew what sanctification meant, so you don't have to worry about that. So abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, it's the Greek word pornea, P-O-R-N-E-I-A. And yes, it is related to the word pornography. Uh, it does not specifically mean pornography. Pornea in the Greek refers to any sexual relationship outside of the marriage covenant. So it's a very specific term. It's not just saying that, you know, between a man and a woman, but it's talking about between men and men, women and women, uh, and all other kinds of immoral activities, right? That word, again, it means any sexual relationship outside of the marriage covenant because that is the only place that God ordained a sexual activity was within the marriage. Fornication uh, is essentially any kind of sexual activity. Uh, it's a very broad definition uh, outside of husband-wife relationships. Very, very similar words. Uh, King James is translated a little bit differently, not too much. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. I think I said that as I was reading it. But your vessel is your body. God gave you your body and you're supposed to act and possess it. What does it mean to possess? Control. Occupy. Uh, so... Uh, we're, we're supposed to stay in control, right, of our, uh, of our body and these kinds of impulses and emotions and all those kinds of things that we see here uh, and not be like animals. We're called to be holy people. Not in passion like the Gentiles. Boy, the Gentiles, Paul's coming down hard on them. But he didn't just say the Gentiles. The Gentiles who what? who don't know God. Not every person, but a lot of people who don't know God at all, never heard of God, never been trained, never knew about the commandments, then they will travel down this sexual immorality path. Many people will. Because there's no standards there. And we have a hard time understanding that because how many of you your parents or somebody in your family went to church before before you came to know the Lord. Alright. Not, not you guys. Okay. You're the exception because everybody else raised their hand. So we struggle sometimes thinking that somebody doesn't know about the Lord and about the commandments. But there's an example. You guys didn't have anybody in your family went to church for you, right? It is possible, and we understand that, I, there's people, there's little kids in our community that have never heard of the name of Jesus. 
Some in our some church. In our Sunday school. Yes, that prior to. But yeah, I mean, they showed up and you start talking about Jesus and they're like, who's that? Right? So uh, it, it makes a difference when you don't know God. And you don't have any background whatsoever in it. Doesn't mean that everybody who doesn't know God will do all these horrible, bad things. But many do because they don't have a background in uh, what it means to kind of live holy lifestyles. All right, let's move on. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. So, for example, Someone who commits adultery is defrauding. What does the word defraud mean? Fooling, cheating, okay? Uh, taking something from them that doesn't, that, that doesn't belong to you. So, for example, an adulterer, an adulterer can defraud his spouse, but also his children. It's going to make a difference in, their, in his children's life. Can I tell you that sin always catches up with you, right? Uh, so uh, it can defraud in that manner. Uh, somebody who isn't married but yet acts in sexual immorality, they can defraud their future mate, their future children, or the person that they're having uh, these relationships with, right? Because they're going to have a future mate or future children. Uh, so th there's uh, this sin is really this fornication and this sexual immorality is really against your own self sometimes. So it, it's important for us to see that. Alright, let's go to verse 6, the last half of verse 6 through verse 8. So God gives a reason for this command to avoid sexual immorality to stay away from it. He says, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. What did we just say? That the Lord sees it, knows it, and he will hold us accountable for it, right? Uh, so, as we also forewarned you and testified. In other words, Paul saying, uh, we didn't leave you ignorant about this. Now, this is interesting to note because, remember, Paul didn't stay in Thessalonica but for maybe a couple of months. Brand new baby church, but he's already taught them about the woes and the problems with sexual immorality, right? Uh, so it's, it's important that we see that. And he says, the Lord will avenge uh, those activities. For God did not call us to uncleanness, uncleanness, but to what? Holiness. God calls us to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. First thing, God calls us to be holy. If we're not, he has, there's Recompense. I don't know what uh, the right word is there, but there's God will take care of it in our lives. Uh, and then this, uh, if you don't, if you don't watch, you'll miss this last thing. But God has given us His Holy Spirit. 
How does the Holy Spirit help us in these areas? The Holy Spirit tries to talk to us. He warns us, yes. Uh, and it's, it, it is true that sometimes the Holy Spirit tries to talk and we don't listen, right? We do our own thing uh, sometimes. Hopefully not. Hopefully we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit, uh, can, can I tell you that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict. And we always look at that as a, as a bad word because we think about convicts in, in prison. But conviction is good when it comes from the Lord. We're not supposed to convict other people, but the Lord does, right? right. Why? Because we're not the ones that are the, the holy. We're, we're, to, we're called to be holy, but we're not called, uh, we're not holy like God is, and he's the judge of them, right? right. Uh, so th that's important for us to see, and it gives us the Holy Spirit to help us, to warn us, to speak to us, when we might be getting ready to make a mistake. When we might be heading into a place that we shouldn't go. When we talk about sanctification, sanctification is a broad category. So there really are places, I think you know this, but there really are places that we shouldn't go. And things that we shouldn't do because they don't match up to God's command for us to be holy, right? What do you do if you find yourself in a place and suddenly realize I shouldn't be here? Repent. Well, yeah. repent, yeah. And, and leave, right? Get out. Yeah. Run. There, there's some places that you can walk into that be dangerous for you. Really, wouldn't it? You know, there's some places there might be some places here in this little town, but I know for sure there's some places in Lexington that you shouldn't be in after dark. <laughs> right? Uh, and if you find yourself there, because you can, you can you can accidentally be somewhere, uh, then your options are get out, right? To, to get out. And the Holy Spirit will sometimes give you that warning. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you things about people that you didn't even really want to know. True. Warn you about people like, this person shouldn't be around. I don't mean that everybody's bad. I mean, sometimes there are certain people that we personally shouldn't be around. And then there are sometimes people that uh, don't have good intentions for anybody. Right? So it, it's important that we see that, that we understand that. God's called us to be holy. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. But concerning brotherly love. So he introduced the topic right there. Brotherly love. What is brotherly love? It's different than, he, before this had been talking about sexual immorality. That's a different kind of, you know, love there. What is brotherly love? What does it look like? Love of your brother. Family kind of love, right? It doesn't have a sexual context to it. It is caring for a brother, a sister in Christ, a, a family member, right? Uh, so he's saying, concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, 
For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Who did Paul say should teach us to love each other? God. So for the Christian, I'm starting to say it ought to come naturally, but it ought to come supernaturally. Do you understand what I'm saying? To love one another should be something that God places inside of us and teaches us to do. And it doesn't come naturally. What does come naturally when it comes to love? To love who? Ourselves, right? Uh, you don't really, unless someone has really severe emotional or, but anyway, we normally love ourselves. We might not like every part of ourselves, like characteristics or whatever, lose about 45 pounds, but I still love myself enough to treat myself well, right? Uh, and, and you do too, because you, you took a bath. I didn't smell none of you when I came in here, right? And you, you know, and you put on clothes and you did all those kinds of things. But it's interesting to me that Paul's saying that God will teach you and is teaching you to love one another. And indeed, you should do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, look at this. Here's the same word he used just a few verses ago. We urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. What is he wanting us to increase more and more in? You know, very first line, brotherly love. Just like we talked about sanctification the do's and don'ts of sanctification. Sanctification includes how we love each other. Ooh. I'm living just right. No, not if you're mystery. You're brother, you're not. Not if you're not showing your sister this love that we're talking about. Then you still have some work to do in the sanctification areas, right? We don't think about that when it comes to sanctification much. Saint, the, the, the whole, sanctification is a, a whole thing about everything about the way we walk. Remember, walk is how we live. The way you love or do not love people, uh, that's something that God helps us to work on. Because it doesn't come natural either. And some people... It's a lot easier to love than others. We laugh when we say that, but it's true. I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, some people are harder to love than others. Some people, some people for us are easier to love than others. And I might love somebody, you know, it might be easy for me to love this person, but hard for you to love that person. Hopefully you, you see that, that this is a part of this sanctification. You know, to love one another. To show one another love. Let's look at verse 11. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. We'll come back and ask you, what does a quiet life look like? But let's finish this. You should aspire to lead a quiet life. Whew, to mind your own business. Man, Paul's just, he's just telling like it is, isn't he? And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So what does a quiet life look like? And I 
lack of chaos, not full of turmoil, a quiet life. Where, you see, I think the quiet life includes some of the things that follow as well. Like minding your own business. Whew, man. Study to be quiet. You know, it's interesting that the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Because sometimes, let's just be honest, if we experience a chaotic situation that we don't know how to handle, we lose sight of who God is. Sometimes. Am I, am I, am I right here? I know yeah. I am. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's hard for us to still ourselves because it's chaos and it's crazy and it's like I, I can't control this. That's absolutely right. You cannot control it. Stay calm. Right? Be still and know that I am God. When you experience a situation that you can't control, I'm preaching to myself here by the way because uh, we all experience this. Right? Then be still and know that he is God. Quiet is like calm, reserved, but also, in my opinion, is in control as well. Sometimes it's open mouth, insert foot before we really think. I know none of y'all do that, but I've been known to do that occasionally. You know, the other thing. Our society, it's di more difficult to lead a quiet life than it used to be. It really is. And we have more of an urban, or I should say rural, lifestyle. And we gardened, and we grew our food, and we, and we didn't go out to eat all the time, and have a real busy lifestyle, run here and run there. I remember growing up, other than coming to church, well, I had a drug problem about church. I got drugged to church all the time. But anyway, uh, other than coming to church all the time, we didn't go very many places at all. We had a pretty quiet life. Do you, does anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, so, uh, so it's a contradiction to our world, which is all about entertainment and excitement. Now, we don't look about at those things. And it's okay every once in a while to have some entertainment and some excitement. But the problem is, is that it can be damaging spiritually to our lives if we allow ourselves to just simply get too busy. And I think this quiet life is low drama too, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a no drama kind of person. I don't like a lot of drama. So we need to live a quiet lifestyle to mind our own business. Wow, Facebook makes it difficult to mind your own business. That's all I'm going to say. Because everybody puts their own business all out there. But I don't say nothing about people's drama and business. I, I really don't. You watch my post. If I post anything, it's like, we're going to have a special service at church. And then I get off. You know what I'm saying? Or uh, God's good, and I'm posting some kind of scripture or something like that. I might post a scripture. I'm not posting scripture. I might post a picture or something where you know we we've, we've been somewhere and it's been a fun activity. But 
that's not a low drama, quiet life uh, platform. Mind your own business. Don't meddle in others' lives. You know, when we say these kinds of things, sometimes we sometimes we think that we're only talking about the world doing this. And that's not true. Because Paul was talking to the church. Right. Right? He said, mind your own business. Sometimes prayer requests can be a perfect opportunity to not mind your own business and tell things that you shouldn't. Right? Or at least lead somebody to believe that somebody's not quite acting right. Prayer gossip, yeah. Uh, so we can do that. I'm, I'm, and, and I'm, I haven't heard any of y'all do that. I'll be, I'm, I'm being honest. Uh, but, uh, but I think we have to be wary of that, at least, right? That we, we could do that if we didn't want to. We actually expect other people to forgive their people in their life, but then sometimes we don't do that enough, probably. Yeah. I mean, and uh, we ought to be, we're forgiven people, we ought to be more forgiving people, right? Right. So, verse 12. This is as far as we're going tonight. Because verse 13 through 18 starts the section that we really want to spend some time on. So, First uh, Thessalonians 4.12. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside. Does it mean people out there? What does this mean? Outside of that relationship with the Lord, right? Outside of the church, the, the true church, right? That you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. When we combine love for our brothers and sisters and not walking in sexual immorality, then we're walking properly, right? And it makes a difference to those who are outside. How you live matters. Not just to us, because we all love you. And we all know that we all make mistakes too, right? right. But we are to walk properly because it's going to affect somebody else outside of Christ and could push them away from him. I mean, it was the, the way we live towards the world makes a difference. We need to for sure make sure we understand that. We ought to be better to people than anybody. We ought to love people more than anybody. We certainly need to abstain from sin in general, not just the sexual sin that he's talking about here, but that's the one he was talking about. But because people are, I'm just going to say it, it's, it's kind of cliche because you've heard people say it so many times, but people are reading your life like it is the Bible. And so it's going to make a difference to somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Have you ever had somebody say, I don't really understand you. You do things differently and you act differently 
And it might just be because you're weird, but it might be because you're a Christian, right? It is coming to be that if we don't not only allow them to live however they want to, so it's becoming our modern day like, not only like you live however you want to and I live however I want to, but it is, has come down at times now uh, to where if we don't not only just acknowledge their lifestyle, but we condone it and accept it, uh, then we're haters. And that's not true, but the more you say it's not true, it seems like the more there's retaliation there, right? Walk properly. What does properly walking look like? Walk honestly. It's in good. the will of God. Walk in the will of God. Walk properly. Honest. Honorable. Trying not to cause offense. Minding your own business. <laughs> your own business. Now, now, one thing that we didn't talk about too much. Not only does it say mind your own business, but it says work with your own hands. Some cultures don't honor work. Work is not the punishment that came from Adam and Eve sinning. It's not. Now, we probably have to work harder if you're gardening because he said that the, you know, you're going to have thorns and thistles and all that kind of stuff. But work in general is actually a blessing from God. It really is because it gives you purpose and it helps you feed your family and it helps you have meet other people where you can be an influence, right? So if we don't watch it, now I know there's times when I didn't really like my job, but I was thankful to have a job, right? Uh, so working with your own hands, there's some benefits to that. There's some blessing of that. Uh, if you have nothing to do and no purpose, it's not good on your mind, is it? And it's not good for your family. That's right. Huh? And it's not good on your mind. Well, I think that also goes back to people feeling entitled that you know right. that you owe me something. I don't have to work for this. Right. You you ought to give it to me. Right. That's now, what it's talking. About. I'm not saying don't retire because if you can retire and they'll pay you, that's good. Just don't quit working. And there's a difference, right? God's always got something for you to do. So don't quit working. Or how about this? Change your work into a ministry instead of making it a mentality of work. And that, 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 that's something to that. You know, even in the church. Imagine, there's, there's 14 or 15 of us in here. Imagine if Every last one of us had a call to be a pastor. Right. And we're all right here. That would be chaos. Yeah. It would be crazy, <laughs> right? Crazy. Uh, now, God calls, calls different people into ministry. Ministry is different than pastoring. I, I, can, I, can I just tell you, I was called to pastor, not just to minister. Because that's what God put on my heart. And a part of that pastoring is actually pastoring pastors within our body, but also sometimes from a district level because of my position, not that I have this great exalted position, but sometimes it lends the opportunity for me to teach other pastors as well. 
And so that's what I'm called to do. But if all of us were called to do that, we wouldn't get nothing else done. We'd all show up, but, you know, we'd all want to get behind the pulpit and preach, but we'd have nobody doing anything else. Can you imagine how chaotic and crazy that would be? But we are all called to be soul partners. Wherever we are. Okay? Let's go through our question. So according to verse 1, what did Paul urge and exhort the Thessalonian believers to do? Walk in a way that would please God and to abound in it. Remember that? To abound. Continue. Walk in a way that will please God. Verse, according to verse 3, what is God's will? Sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Set apart. According to verse 3, what should Christians abstain from? Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Uh, what does the Greek word pornea mean? Any sexual relationship outside of the marriage covenant. Question six, according to verse six, who will punish sexual immorality? The Lord will. He says, I'm the avenger of such things. Question seven, according to verse seven, what did God call us to? Holiness. Holiness. Okay. Question eight. Who did God give us to help us overcome sexual immorality? The Holy Spirit, that's correct. The who's kind of spelled it out there. Because the Holy Spirit is not a it. It's a who, it's a him. It's part of the Trinity. According to verses 9 and 10, what were the Thessalonian believers urged to increase in? Brotherly love, right? Brotherly that, by the way, that word is uh, phileo. Phileo. It's brotherly love. Anybody know what agape is? It's God's kind of love. Unconditional love. According to verse 11, what three things are the Thessalonian believers told to aspire to? Lead a quiet life. My own business. And get to work. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way Kay said it. Shut up, mind your own business, get to work. 